0: Here we are now, with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. My name is Doster. I don't know if you can hear that drilling in the background. Hopefully it won't disturb us too much. Today's episode is about teddy bear consciousness techniques. And if you'll allow me, I'm going to take my time to explain this. During my travels over the last year or so, I was studying, well, not studying, but practicing. I guess you could say studying, but more experimenting and learning and doing what we can broadly call transformative practice. One of the most powerful and effective things that I came across was this teddy bear consciousness technique. And it's not exactly a textbook technique. It's more of a an adoption of some techniques into... Well, the way we package it here is as... A technique, but it's more in a gray area, as you'll see, as you'll hear as we discuss it. So, if we can back up a little bit and say, well, if we have this broad term called transformative practice, we can break that into a few different things. In a nutshell, transformative practice is taking this thing in our being, which wants to change. And we're we're consciously saying, well, how does it want to change? Where does it want to go? How do we follow the urge of our inner being? And what can we do to speed up that process? How can we change? How can we go through the layers? How can we get to a higher level? How can we break through? These are all sort of terms that we can bunch together under the guise of transformative practice. And it's a little bit different to self-help. It's different to motivational help or psychology or things like that. Usually we use the term transformative practice for something that's deep, something that gets to the core of your being. We can also call it a spiritual practice. So transformative practice includes consciousness techniques, awareness techniques, and meditation. So these terms in and of themselves are quite broad and quite big. There's a lot which we can call a consciousness technique, or an awareness technique, or a meditation technique. And even this word technique is a little bit tricky to pin down. Basically, a technique is a procedure that you go through for an effect. It's an ABC, follow the steps to get a result. And there's a whole array of consciousness techniques, awareness techniques, and meditation techniques. And which one is relevant to you and which one is up for you and what interests you is really up to you. And some people would even make the distinction between a meditation technique and meditation itself. So a meditation technique would be a procedure which you follow in order to prepare you for meditation and so a meditation technique is not real meditation and many gurus or speakers or people who are teaching meditation will have this thing which is the the how to say the peak or the point or the the essence of what you're trying to get at and they'll say that that is true meditation We can say that something is meditative, but not meditation. So, there's a few different ways around this. Basically, a meditation technique is something that's aimed at taking your inner being to a different place. And that means something like... That could mean... Developing a witness. It could mean developing a detachment from things in your being. For example, a detachment to your thoughts or a detachment to your body or a detachment from your emotions. It might mean any number of things which are to do with changing how it feels to be inside you with your eyes closed. And when we say inside and outside, we mean the inside is anything that happens when you sit still with your eyes closed. So that's, that's a meditation technique in a nutshell. And then an awareness technique. Usually these are more poised at alertness in conjunction with the senses. So the senses like sight, sound, and hearing, all those and an alertness to it so you want to be continuously bringing your your concentration or your attention back into alignment with something in your sensory perception so if you're looking at a candle and you're concentrating on the candle and that's the that's the med- well you can call that a meditation but you can call that also an awareness technique so putting something into your perceptionary, well, a better way to say it would be if we have something that is, say we have a candle and the the Zen master, every time you look away from the candle, the Zen master hits you. And then every time you lose concentration, the Zen master hits you or you do something wrong, then that's an alertness to do with your eyes. It's an alertness to do with your perception. So that's an awareness technique. And there's also awareness techniques where they're poised at bringing out what's not seen in you. So you're developing this ability to, and if you do this in groups, what they're looking for is the ability to show you something that you cannot see in yourself, which is different to meditation. So, for example, you might say well they'll, they'll one way of doing it uh, is to have a, a a talk awareness technique so a talk awareness technique is where you say certain things and the zen master or whoever is working with you will lead you in this and then you'll end up saying certain things and then they'll turn it back on you and they'll say why did you say that what happened when you say that how did you feel when you say when you said that what was someone else's response when you said that? And that's a talk way of bringing awareness to things in your being. And we can call that an awareness technique. And there's talk talk awareness techniques. There's a, that's a huge category in and of itself. So there's just a few. In a nutshell, they're basically getting you to say certain things and then holding you accountable to what you've said. So, we also have consciousness techniques. So, these are not poised at concentration or emotion or mind or the witness or necessarily awareness or perception. But they're aimed at something that gets through the entire being. There's something that permeates through all of these things. Consciousness is everything. Have you heard that? Everything is consciousness? I'm sure you've heard that at least somewhere in your travels around internet land. So, a technique, which is a consciousness technique, is something that is usually very simple. It's a very pinpointed, singular part of, of your experience of reality, and yet it goes through everything. So, for example, we have this one which we're talking about today, which is the teddy bear consciousness technique. And the instructions are simple. It's very simple. It goes like this. Make friends with a teddy bear. and that simple thing just that can permeate into your entire phenomenological experience your entire consciousness can shift and how that happens and how and what it's like is what we're talking about today think of something that can permeate your whole life. Something like love. Something like innocence or curiosity. What about your relationship to objects? What about projection. Everything is a projection of yourself. (laughs) Everything is projection. (laughs) Have you heard that before? (laughs) I remember in my travels, there was this moment where uh, I was having coffee with a friend and we'd been doing these techniques and we were having a bit of a laugh about how, how crazy it gets when you have it when everything's coming at you at once and there's all these techniques and all these people coming at you and he's just we're sitting having coffee in the cafe and he stands up and he goes and he's shaking he goes everything is projection everything is projection and he's like pointing at things like that tree is projection this of course this was a this was like a humorous moment it was done in a in a playful way but it it really was quite funny because it gets it it gets at something quite deep which is you can enter into your uh, i guess consciousness playground by telling yourself that projection is everything there's also what we say a, a dialogue relationship or a like a puppet show simulation this is like a a cartoon or a kids' show, or a drama. We can turn life into a a movie, or we can turn it into a novel, or we can turn it into a stage play. And the way we do that is we cast a character to represent us. For example, the teddy bear. So, these things, these all-pervasive things. They're they're deep, far-ranging, complex, broad, sweeping experiences. And this teddy bear technique of just make friends with a teddy bear covers all of them. It hits all the marks. It's so simple, and yet it gets so deep. And... That's a a key characteristic of a consciousness technique or an awareness technique and even of a meditation technique or of meditation. It's on the surface, very simple. Usually the instructions for any of these, these techniques, they're very simple instructions. It only takes a few minutes to say what it is and then... It's up to you. It's up to you to explore the boundaries. It's up to you to say, well, is this allowed? Or is this allowed? And if you have a meditation teacher, it's like, well, can I try this? Does that include this? But what does that mean of this? And the Zen master will just hit you on the head and say, shut up and do your work. (laughs) Well, I hope your Zen master is a bit nicer than that, but... This thing of the simplicity and depth comes up again and again in all of these techniques. So, how deep does the teddy bear technique go? Well, let's talk about it. Let me share with you some of my experiences and let me tell you a little bit about what's what's possible. And I'm going to say this knowing that it's not the end of all that's what's possible. So... If you think about something like love, we ask you, how open are you to love? How much love is there in your life? How deep is your love? Do you really know how to love? Have you ever learnt how to love? When you were a child... Did you love your teddy bear? Can you remember what it's like to love that teddy bear as a child? I hope you had a teddy bear as a child. Most children do. You missed out if you didn't. Otherwise, you might be someone who had a doll. Dolls are more for girls. Or a blankie. That would be like a small blanket. I don't know. I haven't done the polling for did you sleep with a teddy bear when you were a child. I don't know what the stats are. Maybe the statistician, if that is a word, can tell me. Send me an email. Tell me what the stats are. By country and age. Thank you. But how open are you to love? And, and I'm saying to you here that you can use the teddy bear to open to love again. And if you can love a teddy bear, then you can start to really open up. It's much easier to love a teddy bear than it is to love something else. Almost anything else. And in a way, it's, Quite hard to love. In, an, in, in one way, it's easy. In another way, it's quite hard to love a teddy bear because it's not animate. You might say, Well, I love my intimate partner, or I love my kids, or I love my pet dog. But the challenge there is the key, or the difference there. It might not be a challenge, but the difference between what it's like for you to love a teddy bear and not is where the learning occurs. Maybe we can make a scale, like if we've got teddy bears on one end and human beings on the other, then maybe above the teddy bear we put, or not above, but along from the teddy bear we put your pet dog, and then along from the pet dog we put your kids, and then maybe on the other further end of the spectrum we put your intimate partner or your husband or wife. So do you love your pet dog? I mean, it's quite easy to love a dog. They're very innocent. They're very playful and they're very affectionate, depending on what breed you have. I've been lucky enough to live with a little doggy before. Seems like a long time ago now. Seems like a lifetime away now to me. But I still remember, I still remember that, that moment where I started to open to the little doggy and I was taking him for a walk. And he had too much hair, because we didn't give him a haircut. And he was just walking. I just saw him walking, and his little hair was fluffing. His little paws were bouncing. And I was just walking behind him, and he was watching around, looking around. And I noticed, wow, something is happening in my heart. I really love this doggy. I really feel like I can cherish this doggy. It's a feeling in the chest. And we became great friends. It became okay for me to, to cuddle him, to pick him up and, and pat him on the head. I mean, what's the instinct when you see a dog? It's to pat him on the head. It's to stroke him, to tickle him under the, under the chin. And the dog is to go, ah, that feels good. Roll over and show me the belly. Give me a tickle on the belly. Ah, that's love. And that's a relationship with an object within your experience of reality. Would you ever act that way? Is that something you would do? Like if it was someone else's dog, you wouldn't, it wouldn't really be appropriate to go up and say, Oh, look at the little doggy. Oh, isn't it so nice? But if you did that, I mean, how, how far out of character is that for you? And how strange would that be? How connected are you with your inner child, your playful, loving child? Because that's what children do. If you're taking your children for a walk or you're out in public with your children and they see a dog, that's what they're going to do. Oh, can I pat it? Mummy, can I pat it? And if you have dogs of your own, well, you're with them more often than just someone else's doggies. And it might be that you've grown a sort of, not an apathy, but you've grown... No, you've, you've It's become normal for you to be around your dogs. And here's something that might shake the boat a little bit, but how you treat your dogs is how you treat yourself how you talk to them the dialogue that you give them the tone of voice that you're giving them you have in some way going on at some point during the day in your head and some some dog owners are not so nice to their dogs they're quite restrictive They have a controlling complex. Don't go there. Don't do that. Don't sit on this. Bad dog. Do it this way. Go this way. No, stop barking. And this controlling complex is something that, well, ask yourself, do you have that? If you really loved the doggy, can you let it do what it wants? And I remember learning that with with the little doggy that I was living with. And I remember saying, well, if he wants to bark, he can bark. If he wants to run away, he can run away. And giving the doggy a respect to not pick him up at certain times and to pick him up only in respectful ways, to let him have his territory, to be clear about where he can go and where where. I go Made us really good friends Can you respect your pet doggies? Can you respect the animals in your life? And now imagine if we come back to What we're talking about which is The teddy bear consciousness technique Can you respect a teddy bear? Can you give it its own space? Can you say, hey, I need to be careful with it? Can I give it time to be alone? Can I make sure he's tucked in? So, if you're doing this, if you're making friends with a teddy bear, you would make sure he's sitting the right way. You'd make sure he's tucked in to bed at night. Make sure he's comfortable and be respectful or even more than that can you be an admirer of your your toy can you imagine what it's like to look at a teddy bear and feel the love to feel a softness to it you can say that thank thank you to this object for being my companion Thank you for comforting me. And at this point we can say, well, there's a couple of different levels to this. Because if you get a teddy bear and you're starting this relationship with it, there's, well, let's put it into a scale as we always do. We can say that there's sleeping with a teddy bear and cuddling at night. And then there's maybe having a meal with the teddy bear, and then there's also uh, going out in public with the teddy bear, and then maybe next level is you you go every single place always with the teddy bear, and it's it's really hard for me to where where to start with explaining the effect or the possible happenings. Of where this done. I actually did that. I did this in my travels. And it was a controlled environment. It was an understanding environment. So it wasn't exactly just going out in public. But the there's the internal effect. And then there's also the external effect. So When you're sleeping with your teddy bear, you're cuddling something. Your body is in a different position. You're in a different mode and when you're asleep you're unconscious so it's going deep into your unconscious it's in a, it's a direct effect to your unconscious experience. And if you have a meal with a teddy bear it's like well what's this doing at the dinner table? If you have if anyone else is around well, it's like be respectful. this is teddy bear. Sit him up, he's watching he's got a place of his own. Be respectful. Let him be there. There's nothing to it. I just felt like doing it. And if you're going out in public, well, it depends where you're going. There's so many different places. But where I was going is I was staying at this meditation resort. And the reaction of the peoples was always like, whoa. Or the, the first time it was like, whoa, what is this? Does he, does he have a name? Where did he come from? Who is he? Who is he? Is he yours? These sorts of questions like, "Oh, he's so cute." And this sort of initial reaction of bringing someone into the social sphere, bringing something into the the everyday life, you you see how the story around them is created and you can see that that's exactly what happens to a person. Whenever you go to meet someone, it's like, well, how do we figure out what you are? How do we figure out where you're from? How do we deal with you? How do I conceptually, how do I fit you into my perspective? And with a teddy bear, in the case of a teddy bear, there's a lot of smiles. And that's, that's this is all sort of the external, the internal... The internal experience for me was really like, whoa, I, I want to show my innocence. I want to play with my playfulness. I want to express my playfulness. And I want to be with this friend, this, this toy. And there was a, so at times a real tension like, what are they going to think of me? What will they think of me? Will they judge me? you know a grown man walking around with a teddy bear how how strange would that be for you now usually when you see a grown man walking down the street with a teddy bear it's like well he's buying it for someone or it's a gift for his children and how would you feel really to do it and say no this is my teddy bear and in a sense there's a there's a high le- there's a higher level to it because you know, and I knew when I was doing it, that actually this is a consciousness technique. This is something for building awareness. And that's, that's always in the back of the mind. That's always somewhere in there. So this, it's the thread. That's the, that's the far end of it. From, from one side, it's an act. It's a technique. And it's a process. And then on the other side, no, you're actually acting like a child. You are being a child. You are being innocent. You are being that you are, you literally are standing there with a teddy bear and telling me its name and telling and, and doing all these sorts of things like having, having a meal with the teddy bear and then saying, oh, he doesn't like bananas Oh, he's already had lunch, he doesn't need that. No, he just wants to watch. Or no, he doesn't like you. Or he wants to hug you. There's so much of the social sphere buzzing, these things of what's happening around that can open up with a teddy bear. And how much guts would it take, I mean, imagine taking a teddy bear into work or taking a teddy bear into school just for a day. I mean, how far out would that be? Would that be news around the school? If you did that, how far out of character would that be for you? How strange would that be, turning up to school with a teddy bear? How would you explain that? I mean how would you would you say oh it's a t- it's a consciousness technique oh this is my this is my meditation practice this is my spiritual transformative practice no <laughs> you couldn't say that somehow i don't think that that would be too much to explain i mean you could you could explain it and that would be one of the challenges is that you you're in this situation where you know what's going on it's challenging to keep hitting hitting at home. I mean, you can always just put the, the teddy in your bag. You can always give up. But to really stick with it, stick to your guns, knowing that you can't explain it because it's just too much to sit down and say, well, I was listening to this guy on the internet and he was talking about awareness techniques and consciousness and perception and you know, well, I want to learn more about love and I want to open to projection and I want to see how social sphere things are formed. I want to know what is happening with relationships. I want to transform my object relationship and recontextualization and these far-ranging memories and I'm digging up things and I'm going into a different part of my being. This this, this is too much. When you interact with people... You really only have a couple of seconds to explain yourself. You really only have a couple of seconds to to say what's going on. Now when when two human beings meet or when a human being goes into an environment it's a there's an immediate yes or no does this fit or does this not fit? What's going on? And when there's when when there's one thing out of the ordinary then there's an alarm bell it's something's not right here and this is exactly the strength of the teddy bear consciousness technique because it's taking an object and and reaching it into a completely different context and it's a deep reach because this is from your childhood it's primal it goes way back One thing that comes to mind is the man who ate a plane. Have you heard of this? There's some logic to that. There's a, uh, I can see how you say, well, what is food? What do we eat? And what's the most extreme thing I can do? Well, I'm going to eat a plane. I don't know. I don't know how he went with it. I think maybe he died or he got sick or maybe he succeeded. I don't know. Someone can look that up for me and then find out for themselves, and then not tell me what happened. But <laughs> that's all right. That's that's a bit of a tangent. But this, the, the point there is the objects in our life, there's something to be said or something deep to be learned about really reaching them out and changing them around. It's testing the boundaries. So if you go to school with a teddy bear... You'd be testing the boundaries. If you go to work with a teddy bear, you might lose your job. It depends what job you have. And you could make up a cover story. You could say, oh, it was it's my daughter's or it's my child's. It's my son, my daughter. But that's really just a cover story. And even if you have children... It's like, well, don't make a cover story there either. Like, Daddy, why have you got a teddy bear? You can say, well, you have a teddy bear, so I have a teddy bear. Somehow I think the children would be more accepting of that than your boss. (laughs) But even there, it's like, Daddy, adults don't have teddy bears. In a way that your children are your teddy bear. They fulfill that need. And there's a point in family life where the children sleep in the same bed as the parents. There's a point where that's appropriate. And this idea of holding a teddy bear. like Imagine holding, or even try it for yourself. Hold the teddy bear. As if you hold a newborn baby. And there is a deep instinct there. And that's really what people say. That's what you do when you go to visit a newborn baby. Do you want to hold the baby? I had a nephew born a few months ago. It was quite amazing. I saw him when he was only three days old, I think, two days, three days. And to pick up that thing, I guess you can call it a thing. It's really a miniature human being. Something quite powerful in that. And you see that there is a huge potentiality right in your arms. There is so much ahead for this child. There is so much that is coming. So many things this child could be. How much will they discover? How much will they find? And it's really impossible to have that sense. When you're holding a baby... To, to feel that and to experience the potentiality is... It takes a sensitivity and it takes a time. Usually it's just like, well, I hope I don't bump his head. Well, he, wow, he looks cute and his eyes are closed. Oh, he just burped at me. Isn't that cute? It doesn't get that deep unless you really feel it. But for the father and for the mother of that child, that first child in particular and it's a very surreal experience because they know that it's their responsibility that weight of responsibility is an experience that that reaches into And, and really having kids can be a consciousness technique having kids can open up every part of your being not many families know this not many parents know this But to have kids and to confront, relive all the things that happened to you as a kid and to have to figure out and to work out where you went wrong, where you went right and then watch the terrible struggle of getting it wrong and making all these terrible mistakes again, that can go into all parts of your being. And it's constant. There's no way out of it. There's no way out once you've had a kid and it gets into your emotions it gets into your thoughts it gets into your behavior it gets into your routine and that's why why it's a, why we could call it a consciousness technique because it it gets through all of your being there's another thing that comes to mind which is Voodoo. Do you remember what voodoo is? Allow me to remind you. A voodoo doll is where you say that the person is the same as the doll. So what you do to the doll happens to that person. I don't know what culture it's from, but basically you use it to curse someone because you do the spell you do the magic spell which connects the object to that person and then you stick needles into it and that's your way of cursing someone without them knowing and of course voodoo doesn't work like that in in a sense voodoo does work but not in that way not in that shamanistic ancient mythic or outdated primitive cultural idea. What's happening there really is you're playing with the connection that someone has with an object. Now, can you see what's happening when someone gets their fancy BMW car scratched up? Can you see what's happening when someone scratches the car? How angry do they get? And you, can you see what happens when a child has their teddy bear taken away from them? You see, the, you see the connection there between the adult's overpriced BMW car getting scratched and the child's teddy bear having something happen to it? I hope you wouldn't ever actually take a child's teddy bear. <laughs> That's not the advice here. But there's a connection there, which is attachment. And it might be that you're using a teddy bear to open up to love and to open up to innocent feelings. But one of the things you're going to have to deal with is attachment. Because there's going to be a time when the object... Is no longer yours. And you deal with the parting of an object. Now in childhood, there is what we call separation trauma. This is when mummy goes to work. Or daddy goes to work. Or the child gets dropped off at daycare and abandoned. And there's no way that the child can see that the mother is coming back. It's final. It's fatal. It's absolute. It's the end of their world. It's a separation which is gargantuan to that child. Because they haven't had the experience. They haven't had them come back. And that's why there's a lot of tears. There's a lot of fear. There's a huge tantrum that happens when a child is separated from their parents. Even so much so that even if they don't realize, I have this memory of being in the mall one day and I saw a child, very young child, maybe just three years old, and they were without their parents. And I thought, oh, here's a lost child. Their parents will be there. Their parents will be around somewhere. They're never far. And I looked around. I said, oh, I can't find them. Should I help this child? Can't be that far. But he looks all right. He's he's doing okay. Obviously hadn't known that he was lost. And there was this... It it happened in a second where the child looked and then saw, saw the parents. And when the child saw the parents again, he realized that he had lost them, and he started crying. Even though he had found them again, just the realization that was triggered by him finding his parents again, who were just around the corner, that was enough to trigger separation anxiety. Now, maybe it's happened before and it's a recurring experience for this child. I mean, it happens quite a lot of times for children. It happens at various times with very either adult in, in any way. I mean, family is there's a complex. There's a very deep complex in early childhood family dynamics. So I have to keep speaking broadly. But that separation anxiety is something you can learn to readdress with this teddy bear consciousness technique. How does it feel to leave your teddy bear on the bed? How does it feel to go to work? And you can actually build up this separating and coming back to your teddy bear by being respectful each time. And you can actually feel a joy. Wow, I'm back. Yes, it's bedtime. I get to be with the teddy bear. I hope you name the teddy bear as well. When I was a child, my teddy bear was called Diddle Diddle. Diddle Diddle was just a teddy bear. Very standard teddy bear. Very well loved. And I even think I've still got Diddle Diddle. So this this separation anxiety you can learn to address love and attachment and separation you can inquire into these things with the use of this teddy bear consciousness technique and even you can go you can go one deeper than this which is that you can have a funeral for your Teddy bear. You can stage a funeral. Now, death is something that is not easy to find where you can practice it. There's no way you can. Well, this is a, a funny technique that I saw in a Alexander Yorovsky film where it's there's a Alexander Yodorovsky film where it's fondo and Liz. It's about these this boy and this girl who are in love. And they go to a cemetery, and it's very funny. they lie down on they take turns lying down on the grave, and then the other acts and and there's you know there's one bit where she she wakes up and she says, "You're not really sad and then he and then he says, "Oh wait, yes, I am," and then he's you know he's putting flowers and he's crying, he's falling all over the place so That's an example of practicing what would it be like to be at my funeral. You can stage a funeral. I mean, that's a bit intense, to stage your own funeral. This confronting death is what we can call a category. It's also a broad category of consciousness techniques. And there's a whole array of depths and varieties of complexities and how elaborate And I've even heard of some really elaborate death simulations where people really do have their own funerals and they go through the process of what would you say to your loved ones? What would you say to your family? What would you say about your life? you get to hear your own eulogy. They walk you through it. So I haven't done too much of this work, but with the teddy bear, what you can do is You can notice, well, there's two things I want to address, which is there's a point with this where you'll get tired of being with the teddy bear. You'll lose interest. And that's a key point because there is a point in your childhood where you don't have a teddy bear. Do you remember that moment? Do you remember when that was? It was a moment maybe you got a little bit embarrassed to be having a teddy bear and you wouldn't want to tell your school friends. Oh, Doster still sleeps with a teddy bear. Oh, no, 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 I don't. No, I don't. Don't tell anyone I sleep with a teddy bear. These This moment of the embarrassment, but also just losing interest, just saying, you know what? Now, for me, when I was using a teddy bear and and staying at this meditation resort overseas and studying all these things, this was a really big moment because I'd not lost interest but i'd found a i found a new connection with my aggression and my masculinity and going from the soft loving child cuddling a teddy bear to being a staunch man like a strong Masculine, just like muscles, deep aggression, like fire. Doing that, that transition, that moment was making different parts of my being really clear to me. So go into this consciously and say, when is the point where I grow tired of being with this teddy bear and relating this teddy bear in this way? Now, growing tight, like like the shift I had, that's probably, that's different to losing in interest because it's becoming normal. This can be, there's a correlation here between this and how you feel about your intimate partner. Because when you're first in your relationship, there's this magic, it's the romance, it's the honeymoon period. And then there's a critical point where it becomes normal. There's a, it, it sort of sneaks up on you. You can't really see it until after it's happened. If you're really on the ball and you know about this, you can watch it and you can, well, what to do about it. That's maybe too much to talk about here. But at least recognizing that moment, where does love and passion, when does that move into the mundane where does that move into, oh, just normal? Where do you start taking things for granted? So it works two ways. You can learn how you start to love something and how you stop to learn something. You stop your love. The love fades. And those are two important lessons. And, and you, this teddy bear consciousness technique of making friends with a teddy bear can help with that. And before, what I was talking about, what I wanted to talk about more was also this idea of staging a funeral. So, having love fade is one thing, and then having it as an exercise of death, and an inquiry into death, and actually saying goodbye respectfully. If you still have your childhood teddy bear, I think I actually do still have diddle diddle. I might have a funeral for Diddle Diddle. If I do, I'll talk about it again later on. And this can be a great practice for real-life death. And how can you do it respectfully? What would you say about Diddle Diddle or your teddy bear? I imagine making a raft going to a river and having a burning. I imagine saying thank you. I imagine saying that I have to move on. And I imagine saying, well, you've been sitting in the cupboard for a very long time. I imagine saying rest in peace. May your soul move on. I don't know what it would be like to have a funeral for Diddle Diddle. I don't know who I would invite. Maybe I would just do it by myself. I don't know who I would tell. Probably only my family members would know and i don't know maybe it would be maybe i wouldn't feel so so deep about it maybe it would just be oh well i'd have to i'd have to be sensitive to that memory and i'd have to really go back and think well what was it like to be with diddle diddle what was it like to cherish something So at this point in the conversation, we can sort of open it up to other objects like love, innocence, curiosity, your object relationship, projection, and these sorts of things. It doesn't have to just be with a teddy bear. Like a curiosity, if you see what... Uh, a baby, so a child is, if we say a child is like 3 to 7 years old or 3 to 8 years old, then a baby is before that it's really powerful to look and watch what it's like for a child sorry, what it's like for a baby to relate to objects and oftentimes they're just picking them up and putting them in their mouth and sort of look starry eyed bombling around, sometimes hitting themselves in the head with their arms because they don't know what their arms are. And there's a point where there's a curiosity, that that value of curiosity is something you can re get get in touch with, reconnect with, and be on the lookout for things. How this works as an adult, how you translate this into an adult life is you look at something, and you really say, how does that work? What is that for? Why is that there? And there are things that come along in your day-to-day life where you can become curious and really be conscious of this, like, what, what is going on? And pick it up. Pick up the object, look around, and really be sort of over the top. You can turn it into an act, like, whoa, look up and down. Up The other way you smell it, shake it, put it against your ear. Does it make a sound? This act is is one way of getting a, a new relationship and reconnecting with the objects in your life. And the teddy bear, well, you could be curious as to how you feel about a teddy bear, and you can be on the lookout for certain things, but certain things that come up in your life which are, not not usual. Well, it, it begs the question, what is a usual object for you? What is a normal, mundane object? And can you become curious about it? And there are things in everyday life like, say for example, jewelry. So jewelry, in a way, has a similar correlation between how you relate to it and... The te- like the teddy bear, as a teddy bear consciousness technique. So, jewelry you wear all the time, but how often is it that you actually sat and admired it? How often is it that you look at it and remember who gave it to you or where it came from? What's the significance of that piece of jewelry? What is that moment when you had it? And why is it the color that it is? So there's certain stones which represent certain things. And certain, you can say, well, there's energy things or there's emotional things. Or there's jewelry for certain times of the year or certain periods of life. A certain age, certain women wear certain size jewellery. Pearls have their own significance. And you can create this, this magic in you by using jewellery as a consciousness technique. And the way you do that is you, you can either synchronize the jewellery with certain things... Or you can build a relationship with the jewelry by either admiring it or having a, a story to it. And this is why you this is why it doesn't really work for to, to buy your own jewelry. I mean, it does work depending on how much jewelry you wear. but to be given jewelry or to to have it in a, in a ceremony, like a wedding ring, like think of the wedding ring. That is a significant moment. It's a ceremony and it's a gift. That's why wedding rings are hugely priced. It has to cost a lot. It has to have this huge value to it. It has to be a rare diamond. And what exactly do you feel when you look at your wedding ring? What do you feel when you really think about the day you put it on? Can you remember the moment when your wedding ring was put on your finger? Can you remember that exact moment? Who was in the room? What were you wearing? What were the smells that were around? How did it feel to have everyone watch you? How did it feel on that day? And that is a significant moment when the wedding ring goes on. And it might be that you don't feel that, you don't feel very good about, well, it, it says a lot about your marriage. Maybe, oh, I just want to toss it off. I don't wear my wedding ring anymore. Oh, it accidentally fell off. Like some fellows, I, what my brother, he's, well, I shouldn't bring him into it, but it's sort of like it's a loose-fitting wedding ring. It just falls off. I remember my, I won't say who it is, but someone in my family, I remember being like, whoa, you you lost your wedding ring? It's like, oh no, it's here in my pocket. And it's like, well, it came off so much. And then I was used to my father who he had his wedding ring on and he'd grown, he'd grown too fat. I mean, he wasn't a very fat man, but he'd grown too, his finger had grown too big and it was stuck on. So maybe maybe that says something about your marriage. If your wedding ring won't come off, it's stuck on. And then for a younger man, maybe it's just loose and it falls off. Is there a? Am I reading too much symbolism into the jewelry of the wedding ring? I don't know, but yeah. So. Another thing that comes to mind is this, it's sort of like jewelry, but it was in this movie Inception and they had this token object where you make the object unique to you and you keep it only for you. And this movie Inception, it's all about well, it's all about the dream world. This interaction between the dream world and reality, and the dream within the dream, and what is real. So, in a sense, this movie Inception, very famous movie, massive movie, one of the one of the biggest. I think I don't know if it's the biggest, but it's just it, it's well well enough known that I know you you know what I'm talking about. At least look it up. Inception. It had um, it had Leonardo DiCaprio in it and all these huge names and. It it address, it addressed these issues of consciousness. It addressed this inquiry into the nature of reality. How do you know that you're not dreaming? How do you know that you're awake? How do you know if you're not in a dream within a dream? Just because you've woken up, what happens if you wake up in a dream? So... In this movie, the characters had this token object like a piece of jewelry. And they all had something different. Like one, one man had a spinner top, one man had a dice, and one lady had the chess piece. I remember, I forget what they call it. Was it the pendant or something? Or the token? I, I, they had a special word for it, but it doesn't matter. But the point is that it was a token object which was completely unique to them, which they only used for them. And that was their way of distinguishing between the real world and the dream world. And maybe you can have one of those for yourself. And You can see how possessive someone gets when it's something, it's an object that is unique to them. When it's something that only you could have. It's customized. It's something that's yours. Something that is unique. It doesn't come off a production line. It's something that only you know how it really is and you recognize all of its details. For the musician it's their music it's their musical instrument and that is a very personal thing like if you play the saxophone you're blowing air through it you're putting your lips on it your reed goes into your mouth you wet the reed with your saliva the saxophone is an extension of your being if you're a real if you're a real hardcore saxophonist then your your instrument is like your child Well, it doesn't have to be saxophone That's just the instrument that came to mind But you can imagine someone saying Oh, can I borrow your saxophone? I wonder if you can hear that There's more sounds coming in the background I hope that's not too much of an inter- in, interruption am trying to talk about What is it? Is it lawnmowers? Lawnmowers are happening Okay doesn't matter too much. I hope you don't hear too much of that anyway. What was I saying? Yeah, so if if you say to a saxophonist, "Can I borrow your saxophone? I'll just use a different mouthpiece." There's still something a bit weird about that. Like I mean, different instruments have different, you know, like a piano player always has to play the piano that's at the gig. And that's really a it's really a bummer of a piano player. And a drummer, well, a drummer can lend drums. But even then, oh, I remember, I'm remembering a story now. So, there was this thing where, I'll leave the names out of it because I don't want to start beef with any musicians. But basically, this famous drummer was coming to Sydney and they needed to borrow a drum kit. And so, they borrowed this drum kit off one of the local jazz musicians and it was it and it turned out that I I I was an admirer of this local jazz musician this Australian jazz musician and the story went that oh this international famous drummer really showed those drums how to be played he punished those drums you can imagine like like the drum kit how, how would that drum kit feel having a different drummer on it maybe that drummer retuned it maybe that drummer put them in different positions they added different symbols they changed the the tone the textures and they hit them in different ways they played different tones out of it they got different rhythms out of it and it's almost like the say say it was the other way around say it was like you're an amateur and you're a beginner drummer and then your teacher gets onto i'm having a memory of this i think this actually happened to me at some point the the teacher gets onto your drum kit and then shows you how it's done like this is how you play the drums this object it's it's almost like this object has been violated or you feel a bit inadequate like why can't i play that good why can't i be with that drummer why can't i be with that object in the same way? Why can't I have such a deep relationship, a deep skill with that object? And that's partly the inspiration of a a musician is, wow, they've created this relationship, this experience with this object. And when it comes to intimate partners, well, wow, that really gets to the point. That really gets close. That really hurts. When you see your ex with someone else, whoa. Did they love you? Can they love you the way I loved you? Whoa. Then there's something. That's that's relationship. That's the that's the atomic bomb of relationships. So, we're talking about musical instruments, teddy bears, and jewelry. Whoa. When you get up to humans relating to humans with love, that is the, that's the plutonium of, did you love that person as deeply as someone else could have? And it comes back to this fundamental question of the, that is raised by the teddy bear consciousness technique Which is, how deeply can you love something? Do you know how to love something? Do you really have the skill? Do you have the depth in you? The emotional complexity, the awareness, the attentiveness, the sensitivity, the openness to love deeply. Can you love a teddy bear? Or is it just, that's just a kid's toy? I don't feel like doing it. Ah, it doesn't matter. Ah, it's just an interesting idea. It's just an idea. It's just thoughts. No. A teddy bear consciousness technique, on the surface, sounds very simple. And yet it gets to the deepest relationship, which is that of love between you and another person. Who do you really love in your life? There must have been someone at some point. There must have been something conspiring between you two. It might be a shock, but you can actually live like that. Can you love life? Can you love existence? Can you love what it's like to exist? Can you love consciousness? Can you feel innocent in existence? Can you see the drama of existence? Can you see how it's all a game? Can you see how it's all a play? And if that's too much to chew on, that's too much to get into, it's like, well, yes, let's say you're on board with this. Yes, how do I do this? What's the prescription? Where do I start? Sign me up. Well, signing up is make friends with a teddy bear. Signing up is go and get yourself a teddy bear. Well, a teddy bear, it's sort of like jewelry. It'd be better if someone could give it to you. Like imagine saying, oh, can I have a gift as a birthday present? Can you buy me a teddy bear? (laughs) Who would you ask? (laughs) And what would they say? And then it's a then you could say, oh, this was a birthday present. If if you go out, I mean there's a there's a reason why the teddy bear for the girlfriend is a cliche in the movie. So if you watch a like a B-grade drama movie or romantic comedy movie, there's a classic scene. It's in so many movies where they go out on a date and they're at a fair, and the man shoots the ducks with the BB gun, the, the uh, ball-bearing gun, and the or maybe it's like throw hoops on the hooks. And the man wins the teddy bear and then gives it to a girl, gives it to the girl. And usually those teddy bears, they're too big, they're oversized. So make sure you get a teddy bear that's the right size. I mean, some are pretty small, some are too big. And, and I mean, like, yeah, so... That, there's a reason why that is a, a, a cliche staple in the romantic relationship because when you're with a new partner, you're going back to your childhood. You're going back to your innocence and you've got the cuddles, you've got the intimacy, you've got the playfulness, you've got the security, the warmth and there's a curiosity in this new object if you want to know the, world, the way to a girl's heart, like, you, I mean, there's three levels. You can buy her a box of chocolates. You can buy her a bunch of flowers. And you can buy her a teddy bear. Like, chocolate, chocolate is one thing. That gets at the taste. A flower is another. Like, ro- like a, buying someone roses, that's pretty deep. That's already quite a seductive, sensitive thing. But if you really want to go deep, like super deep, then get him a teddy bear. <laughs> I don't know if this. I don't know. I don't want to get into relationship advice. That's that might be too much. I mean, this is just an idea, so <laughs> take it how you want it. But think think of that gift as as the chocolate, the flowers, or the the teddy bear. And the other thing that comes to mind is like diamonds are a girl's best friend like if you give a jewel if you give jewelry to a woman that says something like what kind of jewelry a necklace says something a, a bracelet says something and a ring says something i don't know what i guess it depends on the culture i mean here in australia basically a, a ring means i love you so and it's i guess it's okay to send something like a bracelet to a friend if you if you're just friends with the woman I don't know, but wherever your cultural background is, it'll be something different. But there's a reason why it says diamonds are a girl's best friend. And what's man's best friend? Well, dogs are a man's best friend. (laughs) So the women have the diamonds, the men have the dogs, and everybody feels love within them. And they have their... (laughs) Just don't put the men and the women together. (laughs) Well, maybe I'm saying too much about myself by going there. So, yeah, we peter off. We say, we got pretty deep asking about what's it like to open to love. And jewelry, a token object, a musical instrument, intimate relationships, innocence recontextualization of bringing the teddy bear to work or bringing it to school projection these are all things that you will confront if you buy yourself a teddy bear or you get a teddy bear and i think that covers just about everything it's don't don't underestimate how simple how powerful it is like i've had my experiences And I've done this for myself. I've been through this process. The other thing to look out for, though, is that choose a timeline for it because it will wear off. The effect only happens a certain way because when you hold the teddy bear or you're relating to this teddy bear as an adult, you're actually enfolding your adult experiences from your childhood. So say you... How do I explain this? You're diluting your experience of the teddy bear. Not not diluting it, but the... You, you only get one chance at this. You only get one shot at using this as a technique. It's not like you can go to it anytime. It's not an on and off thing. There's really only one hit that you get, which is the first time you do this. So... At the moment, you're an adult and you haven't slept with a teddy bear in since you were ch- a child. Let's just say that's the scenario. Now, when you first come to be with the teddy bear, then you're going to have this huge pull experientially back to what it was like to be a child. Now, as the days go on, the days and weeks, however long you do this, that effect will wear off because you'll have the experience of being an adult with a teddy bear enfolding into your future. And that, well, that gives you an insight into how time works in one conceptual way. That's like a linear time. I don't want to get into too many of the different concepts of time at the moment. That's a conversation for another day. But basically speaking, when we're talking about experientialism in a linear time frame you have one shot at the teddy bear consciousness technique so really go into it and say for just two weeks just for two weeks i'm gonna sleep with a teddy bear and i'm gonna at times have them at the dinner table or have them and, and maybe only you only need to go out in public for one day or to one takes take them to school for one day i mean oh. See even even me saying this to you there's a resistance can you hear my resistance like there's something holding me back from I don't want to I don't want to tell you to do this there's a like ooh like some sort of tension why why would you tell someone to do this? how could you do this even though I mean I've done this I've done this myself I've had these interactions and yeah it's just Oh, it's powerful. It's deep. It really gets deep. If you're a sensitive person and you can feel what's happening, it gets into so much. It gets into your, it gets into your very being. Like it's beyond emotion. And I could, I could find like my walk changed, my hands gestures pl- changed, the words that I used changed. So watch out for this and allow this to be like the. the There's a playfulness. Playfulness is really such a small word which implies so much. And there's such a deep world to explore through this. And the teddy bear is a very unique doorway. It's a very unique uh, object in your life. Like, jewellery is one thing, a musical instrument is another, but your teddy bear, well, imagine imagine if you could do this with your original teddy bear. Like, if you still had... Like, some parents keep their teddy bears of their children's and then bring them out when they turn 21 or something. It's like, wow, remember them? Actually, I think someone did that in my family. I'm having a memory now. I'll have to ask, but I think... My mother did that for my older sister. And at at her 21st birthday party, it was like, oh, what was his name? What was the name of my sister's little, I can't remember. But that is a really powerful thing. Like that can make a birthday party. Whoa. You know, that's like, what a present. What a trip. Look at how far you've come. Man that would make the birthday that would be an event unto itself if you did that, but if you could do this with your original teddy bear, wow, oh, things are gonna open up for you. Oh, good luck with it! I don't know if i <laughs> I don't know if I wanna be around. I'm glad I'm not gonna be around for it, but I sort of do wanna be around for it <laughs> What's gonna happen? Oh. Yeah, there's there's a lot there. One thing we didn't cover, but I'll plant a flag for maybe next time, which is this thing of being in a couple. So if you're married or you've got a boyfriend, girlfriend, what you can do is you have a teddy bear each. Like maybe you're an adult. Like if you're a woman, you're a little a girl in a woman's body or you're an adult woman who still is in touch with her inner child, there's a chance you still sleep with teddy bears. There's nothing, that's not that uncommon. But what you can do is if you're in a couple, you have a a, a teddy each and you can use that as couple relating and you can project your dramas onto the teddy bears. So I remember at one point I was acting out. I had two two teddy bears and I said, This is you and this is me. And I said said to my girlfriend, I think maybe I'm saying I'm I'm revealing too much now, but if you've listened this far, you can get some dirt on Dosta. Basically, I was saying, This is you, this is me. And I was saying, you know, you know, this sort of talk back and forth. And it was like the Seeing how I was talking to my girlfriend or relating with my girlfriend, seeing it enacted in these toys, turned it into this big joke. Whereas in reality, it had been this deep issue. It had been like this argument. It had been this tension between us. And once we could put it into the toys, we could step back. And that's really the issue with couple relating is you can't step outside of you two, your little world. And that's what couple counseling is, is you you go to a counselor and then you say all your stupid stuff that you say, or the the argumentative things that happen. And then when you realize, well, someone else is listening and they're thinking, what on earth is wrong with you? How can you say these things? You think, well, actually, yeah, it's not such an issue. I mean couple relating that's a big i mean that's why i didn't want to bring too much of it up that's a big field that's a that's a deep that's a deep uh, rabbit hole to go down so let's not go too far there let's just say that when you have this teddy bear consciousness technique there's a, a, there's a avenue there to explore with your intimate partner and also if you don't have an intimate partner You can use that as to, well, how would you relate to your intimate partner? Maybe if you're single, you need a teddy bear. Just like if you're single, maybe you need to get a dog. And you can tell the teddy bear your secrets. What does it feel like to talk to the teddy bear? What if you actually told the teddy bear something that no one else knows? So... These are just a few more ideas. And I hope that's given you enough to chew on. If you actually do this, if anyone does this, let me know. Please write in. (laughs) Podcast at gmail.com is my email. And you'd like to share your experiences. And... As always, I'm going to do a little less talking towards the end. And talk softly. And (laughs) it's not working. I'm too silly. It doesn't work if you talk about what you're talking about. As always, what I'll do is I'll leave a little bit of silence. And you can just listen to your inner world just to meditate for a few minutes and just digest all that we've been talking about so don't don't run off straight away to distract yourself just just digest what we've talked about see what's come up for you what's sticking and that's all i have to say for now